Good morning. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I need a little bit of grace this morning. Um, I pulled up into the church this morning, church parking lot this morning, and I had one of those realizations that I drove all the way from my house to here and did not understand or know how I got here. Y'all ever had those moments? And I know it's just because of the chaos of, of the season, but not only that, with a lot of things going on with the uh, many passings of many dear friends. And um, I do want to also make uh, known to y'all, um, Cliff Forrester reached out to me Friday and uh, his dad, after a long extent period with hospice, went home to be with the Lord early Friday morning. Um, for those who don't know, Cliff's dad served as a missionary in Venezuela for many years. Uh, and I, like I told Cliff, I'm extremely thankful for his life and I'm extremely thankful for his mission. But many of us were also rattled with the passing of Sean Byers. Um, uh, a lot of people that have been here for quite some time, you got to be a part of Sean's life and it was hard for every single one of us who've, who've had maybe what seems like such a small part in a man's life who had such a legacy after being crippled after being taken from the football field to a wheelchair, the boy's faith never waned. I loved going into Walmart. Well, I loved going into Walmart when I didn't have something to do. Because if I had something to do and Sean was at the front door, there was no way that I was even getting into the store 15 minutes into it. But it it'd always amazed me. It always amazed me that regardless of what was going on, Sean was willing to share his testimony and his faith in Jesus Christ with anybody who walked through the doors of Walmart. And you know what? The management didn't care one bit. I love that. I absolutely love that. A lot of times Sean was unintentional about things, but, um, but at the same time, his heart showed his true intent. Yesterday, I had an, a very unintentional, unintentional experience. Over the last couple of years, Joey has rap, rap, roped me in. That's the best way of putting it, nicest way of putting it. And to help and help, he told me, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good word too. And helping him with the parade. And every year, I mean, it's went great. We've gone, we've had some great times in the parade. It's funny getting to walk around with a 15-foot Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and just see all the kids' faces light up. And, um, and there's also scary moments where you have kids run out in front of a fender well and you're worried that they're about to get crushed chasing a, a peppermint piece of candy and you're like, Ugh. but yesterday we were getting ready. We were getting ready for the parade. We hadn't even got into the parade. And there were so many events that come about. I almost looked at Jennifer and said, get in the van, we're going home. <laughs> First, we're there. Rudolph, 15-foot Rudolph's blown up. 13-foot Clarice. Y'all know who Clarice is? <laughs> Rudolph's girlfriend. Yes. I am thankful that Joey saw Rudolph's loneliness. 
and he bought Clarice to go with it. So we had 15-foot Rudolph blown up, 13-foot Clarice blown up, and everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, the power from Connor's truck, we're not sure whether it was cords or what happened, but it kept cutting off. We finally get it up. The parade's about to go on. I'm talking all the floats are making their way out. They wanted us right in front of the Santa float. And you know what comes after the Santa float, right? Horses. Horses. Keep that in mind. So we're getting ready to leave, pull out, and all of a sudden, when Connor puts the truck in drive, the power cuts off. I never knew a 15-foot balloon could deflate so fast. We finagled with it, finagled with it, finagled with it. Joey, it was kind of comical watching Joey. Joey was ready to pull out his hair. Finally, we say, okay, get rid of Connor's truck. Eli, Eli, man, he is so proud. He was going to get to step in and help. So Eli runs over. He gets his truck. Eli starts backing his truck up, and I'm lining him up. And I notice that Eli has this beautiful Georgia emblem on the back of his truck. Beautiful. It's nice. You bought that for him, didn't you? It's nice. That's a nice emblem. It's so nice that his daddy put one of those lock and hitch pins in it. Eli says that his daddy didn't give him a key. I have a feeling there's a little bit of line there. I have, there's probably a key on the chain. But we're getting ready, and I'm talking Joey's already gone, and we can't get this hitch done. So Peyton Brewer, Joey's nephew, steps up and says, you know what, my Yukon's got a plug-in in the back. I'll go get it. We'll get it up there. We'll get ready to go. By this time, I'm watching the horses start moving forward. Mm-hmm. Peyton gets up there. We get that thing hooked up, and we are ready to go. And about as we're pulling out, Peyton says, uh-oh. Uh-oh. What do you mean, Uh-oh. He said, my gas light's on. (laughs) I said, how many miles does it say? He said, it doesn't. It just says low. (laughs) Now, in our van, you get to 30, and then it goes to low. And I'm sitting here thinking about this two-mile parade route that we've got to idle through, and I'm sitting here wondering, are we going to make it? So we start getting out there. Lo and behold, the horses are there. We split the horses right down the middle. (laughs) For you horse people, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. (laughs) Finally, Joey did some finagling, got us back in front. We about went in the ditch trying to get up front, but we got us back up in front of Santa But I was sitting there thinking about all these things that had happened. Do you know if we would have sit down all day long, we could not have planned for those events to happen. They just unintentionally happen, and it makes a great story. But at the same time, we have many things in our life unintentionally happen, and we can't do nothing about it. One of those things that we have unintentionally happen is sin. All of us have those moments of 
unintentional sin. Unintentional failure. You know, maybe we're put in a situation. We're put in these situations where a response is demanded immediately. You know what I mean? You're put in one of those situations to where you have to make a decision, Johnny on the spot. And sometimes out of, out of concern, fear, or hurry, we make bad decisions. Sometimes these immediate decisions are wrong. Sometimes these immediate decisions are sin. Did we plan for it to happen? No. Unintentionally, sin does creep into our lives. There are also times when we are put in a tight spot or a tight situation to where an immediate response is not needed, but at the same time, there irks this little thing in us to take shortcuts or maybe do something that, you know what? If nobody knows about it, it ain't gonna hurt nobody, right? But deep down inside of us, there's something that welts up in us called the Holy Spirit that immediately corrects us. And thankfully, because of the Holy Spirit, we don't make those foolish decisions. Again, it's completely unintentional. At the same time, there are people when the occasion or opportunity arises for personal gain or even for revenge, they'll make a decision that is flat out wrong. They'll plan for that decision. They'll plan for that moment of revenge. They'll plan for whatever it is that they are desiring to happen and they will push it through. This is what the Bible calls willful sin, intentional sin. And brothers and sisters, this is something that is severely dangerous. It's something that's not talked about a lot, but it is something that is dealt with today in today's scripture. As we continue in Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 26 through 39. I want you to understand, again, the context. He is talking to the Hebrew people, people who are used to ritual sacrifices. Every year they were having these ritual sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin, even though Numbers 15 says that there is no sacrifice for intentional sin. But they continued on with their life, knowing that if they messed up today, they could be good the next time these sacrifices come around. And with that in context, I want us to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversary. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? 
and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know, we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But remember, I will underline the word, but. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the <clears throat> seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance or patience. Some of your translations say patience. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And he shrinks and and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, underline that but again, are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to, of, <clears throat> to the persevering of our soul. Pray with me. Father, Well, there are many times in our life that we face unintentional situations. A lot of times we have to remember that nothing that happens on this earth catches you by surprise. Father, I am thankful that we serve a God that doesn't have a uh-oh moment. I'm thankful, Lord, that we serve a father who loves us so much that he was not even willing to spare his own son to reunite us with our father. But this morning, Lord, as we dig into this scripture and as we dig into these truths on willful sin, I just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes Open our ears and open our heart to what your word has for us this morning. Because Father, every single one of us face a sin temptation on a daily basis. And every single one of us struggle still to this day with the things warring inside of us. But Father, even in this scripture, you have given us, given us steps to help us stay away from willful sin in our life. Help us to see it. Help us to obey it. Help us, Lord. We need you. 
It's in your precious, humble name that I pray. Amen. Willful sin is not a marked characteristic of a genuine believer. I want to say that one more time. Willful sin is not a marked characteristic of a genuine believer. When I am talking about willful sin, I am talking about sin that is intended on being committed. Sin that has been thought about. Sin that has been planned. Sin that has a vengeful, malicious, or spiteful way about it. None of these are true marked characteristics of a genuine believer. In Jesus' other teachings, he called the ones who practiced willful sin devils. He called them unrighteous. He called them vipers. He also characterized these people as people of the world and even in some cases, people who are not of us. Willful sin is not something that we should take lightly. It is a very severe decision. And it is a decision that is eternal. Today's passage deals with people of willful sin. When a lot of people read this scripture, the question comes about again. Are these people saved or are these people lost? And when we're talking about these people who are saved or lost, we need to put some things into context. Because yes, the passage does start off with the word for, which means we need to understand what was being spoken about previously because it all works in conjunction. He does warn us not to waver. He does tell us to encourage one another. By the way, I challenge y'all. Encourage somebody younger, challenge somebody older, and challenge somebody who is not here. Encourage them. Encourage them to be a part. Did you do it? Don't answer. Don't answer. Did you do it? Guess what? His mercies and graces are new every day, and you have a new opportunity to do it. If you did not do it, do it. Why? Because his word commands us to. And when his word commands us to, and we intentionally do not do it, that is willful sin. But there's also some things in here. It talks about they come to a knowledge of truth. Okay? And there's some aspects of that that we could look at and say, yes, that is a believer. There's also some aspects where it says that they shared, that they shared in the suffering of the other people. Brothers and sisters, there's one thing that I've learned over the years. It's one thing to play a Christian, and it's another thing to be a Christian. The word that we bounce around with is apostasy or apostate. And I know over the last couple of years, it's become very prevalent. 
We've seen many Christian songwriters who have renounced their faith. We've seen many pastors who have fallen from the high pedestal that the world put them up on and they have fallen from the faith. But do you really know what the word apostate means? The word apostate simply means to reject. Paul, a converted Jew, converted to Christianity, was called an apostate by the Sadducees and by the Pharisees. Apostate for rejecting his former beliefs. So, understand that the word apostate just doesn't hold to Christianity, but the word apostate does mean to reject. What we've got to realize is there is a such thing. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as an apostate, genuine believer. There is no such thing as an apostate, genuine believer. There are people who have stepped up to the line of salvation. And I mean, they've stepped right up to it like it was this piece of tape. They were right there so close that you could taste it and they could too. But you know what they never do? They never cross that line. There are people who have played church for many, many years, but never actually been a part of the church because they were never the true bride of Christ. There are people who have profound knowledge. I'm talking about scholar level knowledge of Christ. They can tell you more about Christ than I can. And their knowledge will profound you. Their knowledge will actually amaze you. But there are people who have this knowledge of Christ and even the word. But they do not know him personally. There are preachers, pastors, and teachers who have taught the knowledge of Christ absent of the power of Christ. You see, an amazing thing happened when Jesus encountered people. When people were truly touched, moved, received who Jesus was and what he did for them, their lives were forever changed. And I know a lot of people want to point, point out to Judas real quick. And I challenge you, read this week. Find me one place where Judas acknowledged Jesus as Lord. Find me one place where Judas acknowledged Jesus as Savior. Find me one place where Judas truly humbly submitted himself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because even when Jesus was getting ready to be betrayed, he told all of them that one of you here 
is not one of us. One of you is a devil. Judas had every opportunity to respond to Christ. Three and a half years with Christ. But he never allowed Christ to change him from the inside out. A book of the Bible that I truly love, 1 John. If I could retitle the book of 1 John, I would call it, Is You or Is You Ain't a Christian? And the reason I would title this is because it comes out with these profound definitions of what it truly means to be apostate. In 1 John chapter 1, they'll be on the board, but I want to read them to you. Starting in verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanse us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you notice closely, that verse contrasts two totally different people. One who obviously has some knowledge of Christ because they say they walk in the light, but he says the light is not in them. They are apostate. They have rejected. But also it talks about ones who have received that light. Ones who have been changed by that light. And they've been so changed that they have fellowship with one another. They have been so changed that their bodies, their lives have been cleansed. Cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But if you jump on over to chapter 2 and verse 19, listen to this one. Listen to this one. It says, they went out from us. Okay, who's they? Well, he goes on to say, but they were really, they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. One of the things that troubles me every time I step into the pulpit is I know there is a chance that there are some people in the sound of my voice or on the camera watching on TV who think they know it, who think they are good, 
but they are far from it. And the only reason they are far from it is because they had that knowledge. They had that knowledge of truth. But they never allowed it to get a hold of them from the inside. It scares me. It scares me for many people because I have personally witnessed stories of deacons being saved. I've personally witnessed stories of pastors being saved. I have personally witnessed people who have been in church all of their life come to a true life-changing knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ in their later years. And there is one marker that if you examine it, and if you examine it truly and deeply, you will be able to find whether they're a true believer or not. And that marker is willful sin. Now I want to say something here. There are moments, all of us have these moments of weak faith. You know what I'm talking about? Where the things of the world are so overwhelming. When the things going on around us consume us so much that our eyes are taken off of Christ and we start to sink. But I want to remind you of this. Even in moments of weak faith, faith still exists. There is evidence of faith in these people's life. There's faith, evidence of faith in many of your lives that I've watched from afar. So don't get caught off guard with what I'm saying. But hear me out on this. Willful sin is not a mark of a genuine believer. Matter of fact, we've read scripture today that calls, it a, that calls them liars. People who practice willful sin are liars. So why is this such a harsh reality? Well, in verse 29, it starts talking about why this is such a harsh thing for willful sin. The first thing it says is, it says he tramples the son of God under foot. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when people commit willful sin, what they say is that he is not the only way. Because willful sin is you saying that you have your own way. And that your way is greater than his way. And the way this is trampling Jesus underfoot, you really have to grasp a hold of Middle Eastern culture and even Hebrew culture. In Middle Eastern culture and Hebrew culture, the most nastiest part of the human body is what? Anybody know? It's your foot. It's your foot. 
I never will forget. Matter of fact, I had to watch it on YouTube the other day. I had to look it up and it's still on YouTube. W, George W, George W. Bush, when he was president, he went over to Saudi Arabia. And while he is there at Saudi Arabia, he was talking to a lot of the Saudi Arabian delegates. And he was talking about all the things that are taking place in Iraq and trying to push for a front from the Saudi Arabians to unseat not only Saddam Hussein, but also to take care of some business with Osama bin Laden. One of the guys, the, the Saudi Arabian delegates, is so disgusted that he throws the most harshest insult in their culture at George W. Bush. He throws his shoe at him. And if you look at W's face, I mean, he, he's sitting there, he's, he's expecting a gun and he gets a shoe. Who throws a shoe? I mean, honestly, who throws a shoe at somebody? If you're mad at somebody, do you throw a shoe at them? I don't. Jennifer's throwing a shoe at me a time or two. But I don't throw shoes at people. But what he was saying to George W. Bush is that you are absolutely disgusting. What the writer is saying to the Hebrews is people who commit willful sin are saying that Jesus is disgusting. I don't know about you, but that sounds like rejection to me. He goes on to say that they regard the blood as unclean. Now we all know that the blood of Christ is the only thing that can cover our sins, right? What can wash away my sin And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this one because we have covered this in great detail about how the blood had to be spotless, clean, without any faults whatsoever. The blood of that, that animal had to be faultless. Christ was faultless. And when we willfully sin, we're saying that blood has no cleansing power over us. But not only that, he also says that it insults the spirit of grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. It's an undeserved gift. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Nobody in this room deserves to be saved. You haven't done enough to earn your salvation. You can't do enough to earn your salvation. And you will never correct the wrongs in your life. This only comes about with grace. Have any of you ever had your grace for somebody run out? You extend grace to an individual countless times. Maybe they're cussing in front of you. Maybe they're insulting your family. Maybe they are 
just being absolutely vulgar. And there comes a point to where you just say, enough. Any of y'all ever had that? When we willful sin, we're doing pretty much the same thing. And matter of fact, we're actually daring God to do something about it. We're mocking the spirit of grace that has been richly given to us that we don't deserve and acting as if it's something that we're entitled to. Brothers and sisters, there's only one thing that I am truly entitled to, and that is hell. And the only reason I am entitled to that is because of the actions that I have done. But thanks be to God, who rich in his mercy and his grace saw fit to save my soul. Willful sin is a slap in the face at God. Willful sin is spiteful sin, vengeful sin, malice sin. And it is in no way a mark of a true believer. And I know we all have those moments when we think we're right in the way we handle things, even when we know how we're handling it's wrong. And that is why God speaks so highly and so harshly against the act of revenge. But revenge is something that we think we're entitled to, isn't it? If somebody harms us, we think we are entitled to do the same to them. But let me remind you of Jesus' teachings. Because the golden rule is not do unto others as they do unto you. It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So how is it? How is it that we as believers need to guard ourselves against willful sin? And the writer of this passage gives us four things, four things to point to, to help us. But the main thing, I'm gonna title this. It's not on the board, but I'm gonna title this. The main thing that needs to be done to stop willful sin is number one, Slow down. Slow down. We live in a crazy pace life, don't we? Yesterday it was January. Tomorrow it will be January again. And it seems like the older I get, the faster things go. And one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get through to us in these verses 32 through 38 is that we need to slow down. The first thing he says is in 32, he says, call to remembrance. You know what it takes to call to remembrance? You have to stop and you have to think. That's not something we do a lot, is it? Matter of fact, slow down and stopping to think is not something that goes coincide 
with our culture at all. Our culture is go, 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 go until you fall asleep. But what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is stop, slow down, call to remembrance the things that took place. This is important for us because one, we were all at one time lost. I don't know if that just broke your heart in that statement or not, but none of you were born saved. Every single one of you lived at one point in your life as a sinner. There's a chance that some of you may still be living as a sinner. But when it comes to calling to remembrance, we need to constantly call to remembrance not only the life that we had before, but also the things that we had happened to us after we met Jesus. You know, it bugs me when I talk to people about their set testimony. Because people will say something to me like, Scotty, my testimony is not anything like yours. It's not one of these miraculous testimonies where God took this decrepit, degenerate individual and put him in the pulpit. But when you say things like that, I think what you're doing is you're minimizing the true gospel. Everybody's testimony has wow factor. Your testimony has wow factor. You were dead in your sins and Christ made you alive. That's wow factor to me. You want to know something that's even more wow factor to me? Yeah, I didn't grow, I grew up in church, but I didn't grow up a believer. And I know some of you who have grown up early in church, who got saved early, who come to that true understanding and received who Christ really was and made him your savior, and you lived your life to the fullest as a born again believer to where you are today. That amazes me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. There was too many things pulling at my attention. Sin is not good for ADD people. It's not good for ADD people at all. You think squirrels are bad? All the temptations are horrible. They're horrible. But it amazes me when people have these testimonies of living a life for Christ to the fullest and not wavering to or fro. I'm absolutely astonished at Jerry's ministry. 50 years, 51, 51 years this January. I don't see that much. And those are the things that we have to stop and call into remembrance because when the possibility or the chance for us to commit willful sin comes about, there is always a place for us to stop and remember. Not only do we need to call to remembrance, we need to don't cast away or don't throw away our confidence. How many of y'all have ever heard the little saying, the devil made me do it? 
Any of y'all said that? Any of you ever said that before? Do you realize in making that statement, you have made the devil Lord of your life? You've given him control. And anyone who has control over you is your Lord. So when we make that statement, the devil made me do it, we are actually given authority to Satan himself. Never thought about that, did you? Because I didn't either. But we have confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence to know that this world is not the end. Confidence to know that Christ has died for us. And confidence to know that Christ is returning for us as well. This should bring us great confidence when we face sin. It gives us the opportunity to confidently say no. 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 I don't want to do that. No. I don't want to go back to that way of life. No. I don't want to trample Christ underfoot. But the next thing he says in verse 36, he says, we need to have patience. And I know I've already hit on this, but I want to dig into it a little bit more. If I were to sit down and compile all the text messages, all the emails, all the letters to senators, presidents, all these officials that I had took time to top out and then erased, I could compile a book of probably over a thousand pages. I am the master of typing something out that I want to say. And then later, realizing, Scotty, that's stupid. And delete it. I don't like text messages. And I'm going to tell you why I don't like text messages. When you text somebody, you're expecting what? An immediate response. And you know what a text message says? A text message says, I don't want no conjecture. I just want an answer. And when you put somebody in that situation, you know what you're actually doing? You're actually putting a possibility for sin before them. Why? Because I can't read intent behind a text message. You ever notice that? I can't read the tone of voice behind a text message. And you can read the same text message in about four or five different ways. And I'm going to tell you all a secret. This is just between us, okay? Well, us and the camera, okay? Hey, YouTube. I turn my read receipt off. You want to know why I do that? Because people will look at their phone and they'll say, well, he got the message and he hadn't responded. There's sometimes I need to sit down and think before I respond. There's sometimes I need to be a patient with my response. 
Why? Because if I'm not patient with my response, my response can come out as hateful, unloving, and uncaring. I wasn't patient with Aaron yesterday. Love you, buddy. But we've got to be patient with each other. We have got to be patient with each other. We've got to realize that when we bring situations to people, that we're bringing a situation to those people that we've had a lot of time to think about, to pray about, and to ponder about. And we're bringing a situation to them expecting an immediate response, and we've got to be patient to get an appropriate response. We need patience. And patience brings about endurance. But he also says this. He says that in verse 38, that we are to live by faith. Real quick, faith is not an emotion. Let me, let me say that again. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is what you know to be true. Emotions happen from day to day, and I have lots of them. I got very emotional last night at the Wendy's drive-thru. I wasn't crying. I didn't cuss. I wasn't even rude. But I got very emotional at the Wendy's drive-thru. I got very emotional watching a 15-foot Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer collapse right on my kids. Weighs two pounds. It didn't hurt them. Don't worry. But I get emotional very easy. Things stir my emotions very easy. I am a true romantic person. Therefore, I feed a lot off emotions, which is a very dangerous thing. Because your emotions can and will lead you astray. And that's why he says right here that we are to live by faith and not by what we feel. Because there is a way that seems right unto man, but leads to destruction. Our emotions and our feelings are liars. Live by faith. At the end of this passage, in verse 39, he sums up two people. And there is a key word that you really have to take notice of in every scripture that you read. Because if you come across the word but, you've got to understand it's throwing something different out there. A lot of people want to say that it is most definitely talking about a believer who is going apostate. But I want to read you verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction. King James says perdition. And it's very, very, very important that that word perdition is used in the King James. Because that word perdition doesn't just mean destruction. It means Ultimate judgment. But we are not those shrunk 
back to perdition. But of those who have faith, preserving our soul. The scripture summarizes two people and only two people. People who've made a true commitment to Christ and people who have not. Apostate or apostasy, there was never a true commitment. And then you say, Scotty, how would you say, how can you say that? Because if it was that case, the writer would have put a third category in here, and he didn't. And this is what worries me. This is what worries me. Because in the sound of my voice, there are two different people. In the sound of my voice. Those are people who have made a true commitment to Christ, and there are people who have not. You say, well, Scotty, well, what's the indicators? Willful sin. Willful sin in no way is the mark of a true believer. And I'm not saying that if you have willful sin in your life that you're not a believer. This is. This is. I didn't write it. My call is just to preach it. Whether it's easy or it's hard, I have to hold to everything that this says. And this morning, I want to give a genuine true invitation because if you know deep down inside of you that there is a lot of willful sin willful sin that you have planned out willful sin that you have had malice intent over willful sin that has been extremely vengeful and you have acted on that willful sin I'm asking you examine yourself And I want you to understand the reason I'm asking you to examine yourself is because I may not have another chance and you may not ever have another chance to respond. Because this is the truth of the gospel. That God loved you so much that he did not want to see you in that willful sin. And that he gave you a way out. And his name is Jesus. And his blood was spilt for you because there was nothing you could do to repay your sin debt. But God didn't want payback. God just wanted you. And this morning, he's asking you to commit your life to him because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, If God's hitting you right between the eyes, you're going to respond. You're either going to commit 
or you're going to go apostate. Let's pray. Father, you know how I've wrestled over this scripture over this week. Even with the examining of my own life, Lord. And Father, I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice has examined their own life as well. You've told us, Lord, that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But Father, it does worry me. It worries me that in an intellectually saturated culture of church, that there are people that have knowledge of you, but when they come face to face with you, the words that they're going to hear are depart from me, for I never <laughs> Father, regardless, your Holy Spirit has to do a work in them. That can only be of you. And this morning, Lord, I'm praying that you would draw your children to yourself. I pray, Lord, that if there is one here in the sound of my voice who does not know you, that is even considering it right now, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the faith and courage to step forward. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the times that you've given me to escape. I want to thank you for how when temptation has come my way, you've always given me a way out. But Father, I pray that you would help us all to slow down. I pray that you would help us all to hold fast. I pray that you would help us all to be patient. And I pray that you would help us all to live by true faith. Father, thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in his glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.